Booty, the Fight Seriously podcast. Colorectal cancer patients are often faced with circumstances related to their disease that aren't openly discussed. In Tabooty, the Fight CRC podcast, we delve into those topics that are sometimes considered controversial, trending, or just plain interesting. Listen in as we talk to experts, patients, and caregivers who provide accurate, real, and practical information for cancer survivors. It's time for us to bring these issues to light. Listen in from anywhere, from your car to the chemo chair. To suggest a podcast topic, email answers at fightcrc.org. Hello, and welcome to this month's Tabooty Podcast. Sharon here from the Fight CRC team. And as a quick reminder, before we get started, the information and services provided by Fight CRC are for general informational purposes only. The information and services are not intended to be substitutes for professional medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. If you are ill or suspect that you are ill, see a doctor immediately and in an emergency, call 911 or go to the nearest emergency room. With that said, um, today I'm speaking with John, and we're here to talk about LARS, which is low anterior resection syndrome and happens to be a side effect that many colorectal cancer patients face. Uh, So hello, John. Thanks for joining. Hi, Sharon. Thank you. Now, before we jump into talking about LARS, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your cancer experience? I came from a very strong technical background. Um, generally healthy all my life. Um, so this whole cancer thing was a, a big surprise. I was diagnosed at 47 years old. So a little bit on the young side uh, um, for colorectal cancer. I had symptoms that I thought were related to, a, to, to hemorrhoids. I had, a, I had a previous diagnosis of hemorrhoids. Mm-hmm. I was dealing with I guess sort of the classic changes in bowel habit. And I thought, you know, oh, I have to sit on the toilet less, eat more fiber. I I, I tried lots of self-care and it wasn't working. When it finally got to the point where I where I was dealing with a bowel obstruction and incontinence issues caused by that, then I went to get it looked at. And even then, my primary care. Eh, it's probably hemorrhoids. Um, if you want, we can uh, refer you to gastroenterology. And I said, you know, let's get this checked out. And the gastroenterologist wasn't particularly stressed. They scheduled the um, colonoscopy. And as soon as the colonoscopy was done, then it was um, obvious what was going on. So a little background, Um, John, you and I connected after you had posted a comment on the Fight CRC blog about Lars that we wrote about in uh, October 2017. And up until today, interestingly, we continue to get comments on the blog with people discussing things that have worked for them, things that haven't worked for them to manage. Um, But let me back up a bit more. So Lars, which stands for Low Anterior Resection Syndrome, is a collection of symptoms that patients may experience after surgery related to colorectal cancer. And some of these symptoms include frequency or urgency of stools, um, clustering of stools, fecal incontinence, constipation, increased gas, pain, and more. 
And so your comment on the Fight Seriously blog was about the idea that the collection of symptoms should not be treated the same, that they're each their own unique side effect requiring their own attention. And I'm curious to know, as you prepared for your surgery, did you know about Lars? Did you know um, that you may be experiencing some of these side effects uh, post-treatment? So I was told that the, 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 the side effects of things like incontinence um, were mentioned as the potential side effects um, of the treatment, but it wasn't particularly heavily emphasized, um, I think, because at that point, it, the big thing was, let's get rid of the cancer. You know, the thought being, you know, we don't want to leave active malignant cells in your body, even if you're worried about incontinence. When in discussions with the surgeon, it was basically expressed, yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have a period of bowel retraining. And the term Lars was never mentioned by any of the physicians I was dealing with. Um, but in my own research online, the concept of Lars came up. Now I had, while I was aware of it, I was also studiously avoiding it because from what I'd read, from the little I'd read about Lars, there was no good treatment. And so if you have Lars, then you're stuck, was my impression. So I was kind of willfully ignoring that possibility and just saying, no, I have to keep up with my bowel retraining. So do you think uh, having more information from your healthcare provider or even finding, talking to other patients who had gone through similar surgery would have been helpful for you at that point? I think it would have been helpful, although there's a huge caveat, which is that, say, six months in after my reversal, when I was dealing with these symptoms that didn't seem to be getting better, at that point, I was saying, gosh, my life was better with the ostomy. Had I known that this was a very high risk, I would have requested right at the very beginning, let's just cut the cancer out and go to a permanent colostomy. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, I don't think that was the, that would have been the right choice, but there was definitely a period in my uh, journey where I was wishing for that. So tell us a little bit about Lars and your experience with it. And I know it's been a few years um, since your reversal. So how has how have the symptoms changed and have they gone away completely? They, I, they have not gone away completely. I still have frequent um, frequent bowel movements, issues with painful bowel movements, and issues with incontinence and leakage. However, it has changed from at the at my immediately after my reversal, I was having upwards of twenty bowel movements a day, and they were frequently painful. Um, when I was when I reached my lowest point about four or five months after the reversal, I was at about a dozen bowel movements per day, again, frequently painful. Now I'm between uh, four and eight bowel movements a day, and they're usually not painful. And um, I have much greater levels of control. I'll, I'll feel the urge that I have to go, and I think, no, I can, I can control this. I can hold it in. 
the amount of incontinence has gone down. So now I feel like I can go out and run errands and not always be looking for the nearest bathroom. So there's definitely been a huge improvement in quality of life. So I've got a follow-up question for you about that, John. And talking about the, the low point you mentioned where you could have dozens of bowel movements a day, um, what would you do to prepare yourself to go out and to run errands and, and just live your life? And what would you tell another survivor patient that's going through this? Um, you know, like, here are the things that you need to carry with you to go about your day. So I, I so I'm, I'm wearing incontinence pads and I went and found the kind that are called belted which means that the pad itself, instead of being like a pair of underwear, it has um, straps at the side so that you can remove the pad without getting undressed. So I would have a backpack and in the backpack, I would have a supply of these incontinence pads, a supply of um, old you know, newspaper bags so that I had something to put the soil pads into. I would have diaper wipes, just baby diaper wipes so that I could clean myself more gently. Um, I would have zinc oxide, just barrier cream, and you have to find one that is comfortable for you. I would have um, Vaseline type, just straight petroleum jelly, which sometimes was more comfortable, depending on how irritated I was. And I would, ha I would bring rubber gloves um, and if necessary, I would use a rubber glove, but usually what I would do is I would rip a finger off the glove and use that to apply the uh, barrier paste. So it's, it's essentially what you would bring for taking care of a baby um, who's prone to diaper rash. The other thing that I found was incredibly useful were these um, zinc oxide suppositories. So most of the, um, I guess, the hemorrhoid suppositories that are out there have um, really strong drugs in them, which I find found tremendously uncomfortable. But there are these 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 suppositories that essentially were diaper rash cream that you inserted, and that provided a huge amount of just protective comfort. So it sounds to me like the symptoms have kind of ebbed and flowed. And now you're at a place that's manageable. So now at this point in your survivorship, what do you do to manage the symptoms of Lars that, you, that you're still continuing to experience? The big thing that I'm doing to try and manage my particular Lars is I'm using um, several over-the-counter treatments for irritable bowel syndrome. So. I'm taking um, peppermint oil capsules, and I'm taking a um, an apple pectin supplement. For me, the um, the peppermint oil seems to calm my um, digestive tract a bit, and it just when I'm feeling the urge to go, it, it makes it a, just a little bit less urgent. And I've noticed that the apple pectin seems to greatly reduce the pain issues that I was experiencing. So, um, and the apple pectin seems to reduce how irritating my stuff is. So that if, for example, I have a little bit of leakage, 
I'm wearing the pad. I have a little bit of leakage. It's a little wet. If it's a little bit wet, I can keep going on doing what I'm doing. If it's wet and painful, even if it's a tiny drop, I have to deal with it. Anything that I can do to reduce how irritating the stuff I'm passing is, is um, a big, a big win. John, the use of supplements to manage symptoms of Lars is really new information for me. I know that you work regularly with a nutritionist and others on your healthcare team. Um, I'm wondering, did you get the information from them or from researching online or from talking to other patients? Um, where is this information available? I had a lot of trouble finding professional resources. And so my, you know, the surgeon's office who was handling, since this is considered a surgical complication, the surgeon's office was following me and they were basically suggesting the, um, the barrier cream, the barrier lotions and doing things to be less irritating when I'm wiping, like using, using water wash or, um, a bidet hose rather than wiping or using wet toilet paper. They were basically doing palliative mechanical things. Um, one thing that they suggested, which was useful, was after four or five months, they referred me to a pelvic floor rehabil rehabilitation specialist. And she referred me to a nutritionist and the nutritionist had a, has a, a lot of good ideas. So I would su strongly suggest finding a good nutritionist who understands, if not Lars, who understands irritable bowel syndrome. After I reached the point of having a lot of stuff figured out, a friend of a friend referred me to a gastroenterologist um, who basically said, yeah, the stuff that I'd figured out was pretty well on track that I want to try this particular drug for treating it. But this was after I'd done a lot of my own research. I, I said at the beginning of the, of, of the interview that I'd been willfully ignoring, ignoring Lars because I thought that it was a terminal diagnosis. Not, not that it would kill me, it's just that I'd be living with these symptoms for the rest of my life. But after I, I admitted, hey, this is what I was dealing with, then I started researching PubMed for, for Lars treatments. And that's when the critical thing that I commented on on your website hit me, which is that it's not so much that it's different symptoms that have to be treated, that each symptom has to be treated, but that we have a collection of symptoms that might have a dozen different causes. And so because, and the different causes would need different treatments. And on your website, some of the other survivors had mentioned things like one of the survivors, I think it was Kaz, had mentioned small intestine bacterial overgrowth, which is something that she was apparently experiencing that was causing the bulk of her Lars symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to encourage people not to think of Lars as a single condition, but you know, a bunch of different conditions that all share similar symptoms. That's a really interesting perspective. 
And maybe part of the reason why some treatments work for some people and not for other people, um, everyone has a different experience and a different surgery and, and perhaps, um, you know, a different different reason why they're experiencing symptoms of Lars. Um, as you were trying to find out what worked for you, John, was it, did you find it to be a lot of trial and error? So initially I was thinking, gosh, I ha I'm, I'm, everything's so frequent. I should be avoiding fiber because, you know, typically people tell you, you know, eat fiber mm -hmm. to make things move faster. And the surgeon's office had put me on um, Benefiber mm -hmm. to, with the thought being that it would bulk things up and make it easier for me to, you know, for me to grab onto it. So I was, I was taking Benefiber, but other than that, I was avoiding um, fiber. Mm -hmm. And that was a mistake because adding adding digestible or not digestible adding fermentable soluble fibers and adding um insoluble fi adding other fiber to my diet actually helped slow things down mm -hmm. um the other thing was that i said that i thought that my symptoms were caused by bile acid um malabsorption um but I was placed on what's known as a bile acid binding resin, um, something called cholestyramine. And the cholestyramine seemed to make my symptoms worse. So that was another uh, failed attempt. Um, in trying different fibers, I tried um, psyllium husk, uh, metamucil. Mm -hmm. And that tremendously reduced my pain but it also lubricated everything and so i was dealing with less pain but a lot more incontinence so that was a 50 50. <laughs> i've been trying to time when i drink fluids versus when i eat food and i'm not sure what that's doing for me um it it's it it, it, it it is kind of consuming which is which has a real, you know, itself has a pretty negative impact. It sounds like this can be a really discouraging process. Uh, if people are experiencing LARS and didn't know it was going to be a side effect for them and the things that they're trying are only working 50% of the time if they're lucky. Um, do you, can you offer any words of encouragement to people that are trying to find the methods that work uh, for them? So I would love... So for, first of all, um, I would encourage people that you're dealing with something that's multifaceted. And so different things will work for different people, but very likely there's, some, there, there, there's something out there or some set of things out there that will help. And so I would encourage people not to give up. I'd also encourage practitioners to um, develop um, I guess, centers of expertise in the multiple facets to help people through this journey. Um, the, the paper that really got me moving, as it were, was um, a report from a post-surgical bowel dysfunction clinic in Australia, where they just described the set of different things that they tried. And 
I, I, I would love for them for, for there to be one of these clinics nearby where I could go and they could just say, here, let's try this. And how did that work? And, mm-hmm. and help, you know, essentially, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm experimenting on my own when I think that a teacher would be really helpful. That's a really good point. Um, and it sounds like it's incredibly hard to get information for how to manage Lars. In terms of your uh, your care team now, do you talk to them about what you're doing to help manage and what, what kind of feedback do you get? I talk about what I'm doing. I've brought some of the things that I found to my providers, but I feel very much that I'm out on my own. Mm-hmm. I have the the I, I have the gastro I, I have the nutritionist who I can run ideas past, and like I said, a good nutritionist is tremendously helpful. She's suggested foods that would likely help given my particular spectrum of symptoms. I have a gastroenterologist who at least believes me when I'm saying, "Hey, I'm dealing with this." For example, when I brought um, papers involving clinical trials to my surgeon's office, they were like, well, if you really push hard, we'll write you a prescription, but we don't know about this stuff. Yep. Sounds like uh, a lot of patients could really benefit from some more dedicated discussion about LARS, how to manage, maybe some more uh, navigation uh, from their healthcare providers. I mean, it even sounds like... you know, dealing with the side effect can be so debilitating and very challenging for people. Like I said, um, when it was at its worst, I was more functional and happier with the ostomy bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, it's one of these things you can't go, you know, if I could go back in time and change things, I wouldn't go back and say, yeah, give me the ostomy. I'd go back further in time and say, hey, let's, let's check this out four years ago. So, you know, we can't do that. We, the, the, the surgeons did a tremendous job of leaving me with intact sphincters and intact nerves. Like all, everything down there is, it seems to be functioning. Everything below the surgical site um, seems to be functioning perfectly. It's just that there's stuff going on that I have to learn to deal with. Thank you so much, John, for joining the Tabuti podcast and for sharing your story with us. Are there any final comments you'd like to make, uh, knowing that the Tabuti podcast is listened to by a lot of colorectal cancer survivors, caregivers, uh, patients, and even some healthcare providers? One of the things that I experienced was the, the, the symptoms were so bad, and it just made me... It, it was incredibly depressing, mm-hmm. um, and um, my therapist, um, when I described what I was experiencing, um, you know, what the thoughts I was having, my my therapist used the term passive suicide um, mm-hmm. or passive suicidal thoughts. And one of the things that helped me was realizing that if this doesn't work. Yeah, it's not that my life was over. The worst thing that would happen is I would go to a permanent ostomy. Mm-hmm. And so if you tolerated, you know, if you experienced the, the ileostomy, 
and it's not the greatest. Um, the worst case scenario is a colostomy that would be better than that. Mm -hmm. um, and I know some people would find that inc incredibly depressing, like, oh, go back to the bag. Mm -hmm. But for me, that was a tremendous relief. It's like, okay, I could live with that. I was functional with that. And the worst case scenario is better than that. Yeah. And a few months beyond, I'm now, it's like, okay, there are times of the day where it's like, oh, it was really better before. But yeah, but most of the time it's like, hey, it, things are improving and I can live with this. Thanks for tuning in. Please remember that this information is for educational purposes only and all medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. For more resources, visit us on the web at fightcolorectalcancer.org.